This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. Regulatory reforms are raising a number of questions within financial institutions, especially when the topic of the Durbin Amendment comes up. The Durbin Amendment's impact on interchange fees associated with debit transactions is concerning, but what impact could Durbin and other legislation have on fraud detection and prevention? That's a question many thought leaders are pondering, and their views vary greatly. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Mike Urban, Senior Director of Fraud Product Management at FICO, which provides card fraud analytics for financial institutions. Mike, before we jump in, could you give some insight into the Durbin Amendment? What are some of the key concerns you see facing the financial industry? Hi, Tracy. I think the obvious concern here is the reduction in debit card interchange. Uh, Right now, there's talk about a $0.12 per transaction cap, and many financial institutions have used that interchange to fund checking accounts to consumers, and it's generally one of the most profitable products that they have in their uh, checking account relationship. And with interest rates at all-time lows, lulls in the housing market, and consumers and businesses that either don't meet lending requirements or the ones that do meet lending requirements are holding off on acquiring more loans and debt, financial institutions are facing a squeeze on the revenue side of the house. The other big implication is the removal of network exclusivity, which means that an issuer has to have at least two different networks, which allows the merchant to decide uh, which network they're going to route based on the least cost of routing for a particular transaction network. Now, a number of questions have been circulating about the Durbin Amendment and its impact on interchange revenue, as you've, as you've noted. In fact, many institutions are already taking steps to prepare for the lost income by capping debit transactions and or limiting ATM withdrawals. But what about the fraud implications? With lost interchange and increasing rates of debit fraud, might banks and credit unions just deem debit too costly to manage? I don't think that anyone is going to cap debit card transactions. Um, it'll, it's really going to turn into a minimums game for debit card customers. So there's going to be minimum balances required, a minimum number of transactions, because the more transactions, the more interchange, even though it's lower. So higher transaction levels actually become more important to profitability. Um, probably, there may be fewer financial institutions covering foreign ATM fees associated with not on us ATM transactions. And then if usage of cash actually goes up, there could be a big increase in ATM transactions. So I think that debit cards are a fundamental product in our society, and we've seen that with the growth rates in the dollar and the transaction volumes, um, and that any financial institution um, that significantly penalizes their use are going to lose customers. So that said, uh, debit card losses will certainly be more painful for financial institutions with the reduction in interchange. Simple math shows that one $200 fraud event wipes out the interchange on in excess of a thousand good transactions at 12 cents per transaction. So what we may see is a migration to pin debit, which has lower basis points of loss than signature debit transactions. And might there be incentives, Mike, in the amendment for banks and credit unions to increase fraud prevention and detection investments? Well, there's been a lot of talk about incremental uh, provision for fraud costs, and regardless of if there is a provision or not, 
financial institutions realistically wouldn't say that they're not going to make investments in fraud detection. So we've seen financial institutions who've turned off fraud detection tools, and the criminals immediately start to slam them with fraud. So fraud detection investments are critical to minimizing losses. Now that said, uh, what the Fed was talking about was fraud prevention. And so their view is that incremental investments in things like end-to-end -end encryption and chip and pin could be invested uh, with that in incremental increase in interchange rate. So taking some of that money and having financial institutions make some investment in that for future fraud prevention. And so the issue with focusing only on prevention costs is each of these fraud prevention technologies solve for a particular area or type of fraud. So end-to-end -end encryption solves for encrypting data in transit, while chip and pin solves for card present counterfeit transactions, not card not present transactions. And in other markets where uh, chip and pin has come in, we've seen that the fraud migrates. So it migrates cross-border where the, the magnetic stripe fallback on the chip card and the pin are compromised in a similar manner at the ATM. And then that data is sent cross-border uh, to other countries where a magnetic stripe transaction is performed. So prevention technologies are good, and they do reduce particular types of fraud but they don't eliminate all types of fraud. So the criminals figure their way around the prevention technologies. So what happens is you wind up making investments all over the place to stop each variation of fraud. So a critical distinction in the fraud discussion around Durban is the difference between detection and prevention. So detection is the part of the equation that figures out what is getting around the current prevention measures. So fraud detection is a critical area of investment for financial institutions. Generally, the more invested in that area, the lower your losses, the more likely the criminals are going to move on to easier target. You let that guard down, and then the fraud will surge back in. Which makes sense. And do you think that the amendment could offer a cushion or a way for financial institutions to pass some of their security and technology investments on to the consumer? So one way or the other, the consumer pays for these things. So anything the financial institution or the merchant needs in the way of risk mitigation ultimately comes out in the prices paid by consumers. So each side has to maintain or increase profits. And what seems to be the biggest misconception, Mike, or unknown when it comes to the impact the Durban Amendment could have on fraud detection and deterrence? Well, there is a piece of the interchange that added that is expected to be invested uh, in fraud reduction, and that's not a bad investment to make. The question becomes, do we all agree to make the same fraud prevention or detection investments? Everyone still has to agree. Maybe all the banks say they're willing to use it to, find, to fund a migration to chip and pin cards. Then the merchants decide they don't want to invest in chip and pin terminals. Maybe the merchants need an additional discount in the interchange to make their investment in chip and pin terminals. That example might seem a little ridiculous, but the point is, is that everyone has to agree on the specifics. And regardless of the prevention technologies used, there will still be a need for fraud detection system investments. Now, when we take a look at debit fraud, when it actually does occur, the losses can be devastating since debit links directly to a consumer's bank account. How risky are debit transactions for banks and credit unions? 
Well, a financial institution is only as good as the trust their customers have in their ability to protect their funds, right? No one puts their money into a financial institution that they don't think is doing whatever they can to protect their money. Um, so it behooves financial institutions to manage their fraud loss. So a likely scenario here is going to be financial institutions looking at products that actually reduce the level of fraud, and in many cases, even just adding a PIN to a transaction, even if there isn't a chip, will lead to reduced levels of risk. And do you think, Mike, that the amendment could possibly open doors, new opportunities for credit or prepaid services? Could the legislation actually lead to a reduction in debit offerings and transactions? There's a tremendous amount of interest in figuring out how uh, credit and prepaid can be used in lieu of debit cards. However, that could lead to additional scrutiny uh, by the Fed if they see that financial institutions are using uh, debit card replacements. There's some language uh, in the amendment around that. Um, however, the political environment today seems less likely to put any additional restrictions around this. This amendment went in without a debate, and both sides of the aisle are very aware of that fact. And I understand that a recent proposal by Senator John Tester, which is called the Tester Bill, would give the industry two years to review the impact a reduction in debit interchange could have on financial institutions. What can you tell us about this bill? Well, I think that, uh, as I said before, with kind of both sides of the aisle uh, looking at the amendment and a lot of the questions that have uh, come out uh, from the House and the Senate around uh, the amendment and the implementation of it, I think that even the Fed has said that, you know, they they don't have a lot of time and they haven't really been able to look at all aspects of this. I think that having a little more time to help really understand what the impacts are all the way around in the industry, not just for financial institutions, I think any additional time would be worthwhile. And from a fraud perspective, where do you see the Durban Amendment having the greatest impact? So it really depends, again, going back to, you know, is there a specific prevention technology uh, that's going to be identified uh, for the investments to be made? I think the other side of it is going to be, are financial institutions going to look to uh, particular products that are going to reduce the level of uh, fraud and again, you know, there's a lot of financial institutions looking at pin debit uh, where the basis points are lower, and so there could be some impacts there. Mike, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thank you very much, Tracy. It was my pleasure to be here. Again, we've just heard from Mike Urban of FICO. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitt. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.bankinfosecurity.com.